Today we are talking about writing scripts yep, and right. specifically writing for the ear yep. with that in mind. And if you are familiar with Macon, you might have kind of noticed there are different kinds of stories that we produce. How would you describe the different kinds of stories we do? Okay, well... The, so what's like one that jumps to mind? One that One jumps format to mind. that jumps to your mind. The one format that jumps to mind would be uh, where we take pre-recorded audio that we've captured through an interview and combine that with a narrator's voice or sometimes there's two narrators. And I guess in some ways it kind of comes off as like an audio documentary. Yeah. So, yeah. so examples are Crystal K most Crystal recently K. Yep. is a good example of what you're talking about. And J-Scale, J-Scale is yeah. also like that. Yep. That's right. So that format is kind of a, I want to say it's our bread and butter because it's fairly straightforward. And generally we like to keep things simple. Mm. And if there's, you know, the resources, the time, or the story just feels like it could go in that direction, then we'll invest, you know, maybe more effects, more... Um, right, right. Yeah. Like, okay, okay, okay. Yep. Which is at its base using interview and then narration, but adding a lot more sound design and thinking more about the structure of that story. But I actually think, you know, it's funny because you said like that's our bread and butter and it's simple, but I was looking at the stories we produce and there are at least two other kinds that are easier. So one is when you do a free flow interview, like Street Dreams. Yep. So where it's like four people and they just sit down and talk and we basically run that. That's true. I guess in, if you were to say script, our bread and butter is the one where we have to um, arrange the uh, sound bites with narration. That would yep. be a script, but I guess when you have people sitting around a table there i guess i wouldn't call it a script because there there is no real script it's just uh yeah. there's either a chat or it's like an interview i think the only scripting we do where we you know after the interview we're writing for that it's intro and outro yeah and maybe like kind of chapter heading in the middle so that might happen and then there's also conversations like this, yep. which are also not scripted. Absolutely unscripted, very, though we do have talking points. Yes, yeah. very, like not a kind of script where you're reading word for word. And then actually, I've never done one of these, but the stories Tally has done for us. I assume there must be some level of scripting. Actually, I don't know. Okay, so if you guys are unfamiliar, Tally is one of our contributors mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. is also a photographer, like, and he's got a photojournalism background. And what he did for two of our stories is he shot a series of photos and he sort of contextualized the story behind them. Uh, and he recorded it completely by himself. Mm -hmm. and so he, one yeah. was on the border between US and Mexico and the other was on California wildfires. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so in his case, if he has no script, then I'm extremely impressed. Otherwise, uh, he's actually telling the story and he's giving himself enough time uh, and enough um, like freedom to pause, collect his thoughts, knowing that they can just be edited out later. So, yeah. I mean, I would be interested in more stories like that. I do think it's even more intensive writing to approach. It depends on what kind of writer you are. But for me, I think of that as even more intensive writing than the kind that we do around interviews, like around existing tape, because it's 
you have to tell the entire story by yourself. True, but I think now Tally, I'd say he's he's quite exceptional, of mm -hmm. course. Uh, for him, writing that one is a bit easier because he, in the case of the U.S.-Mexico border one, he shadowed a volunteer group. And I feel he's close enough to the story that, not necessarily saying the script writes itself, but mm -hmm. um, he definitely has a grasp of it. He remembers the events in sequence. I think maybe we can talk about this a bit, is how do we go about writing scripts when we actually weren't there, which is really often the case. Yes, yes that happens. It is an interesting phenomenon. We are a small team. So often the person who goes out and collects the interview or tape or the recordings or whatever doesn't wind up being the person who writes it and even the person who records it. So like it could be three different people. So yeah. like one person records the actual interview and then one person writes the script and then a third person is narrates, narrates yeah. is the one on the mic. Yep. It's a challenge. It is a challenge. Um, this, uh, of course, is just something we encounter because size of team, people are not always in the same place at the same time where they can't basically start and finish the story all on their own. Mm -hmm. And so we have to find ways to tell a good story, mm -hmm. even if, uh, like we said, you're not personally connected to it, but you know, you obviously want to do every story justice. So. so in your experience, how do you approach that when you're given like an hour or 90 minutes of recording? Okay. Generally, um, uh, as has been the case for the past few months, I'm also cutting a lot of interviews too. And rather than try to do this, these mental gymnastics of trying to arrange and write the whole story in my head, maybe it's just a force of habit, but I found a lot of my best work has come from just having more research and just more time to digest the story. So I typically listen to that 90 minutes and knowing I'll, you know, I could waste that time um, just looking at a blank page. I actually cut the story as mm -hmm. I go and I really, really get to hear all the nuances and I really get to absorb the story. And then once I've edited that interview for the pauses, the ums, the ahs and stuff like that, I can start to arrange the best quotes from there mm -hmm. and arrange them kind of like a collage so that the plot flows. And then, you know, I figure out how I can best coordinate those points using the narration. I think the hardest part for me is when you want to rearrange the conversation drastically compared to, and this really depends what the original interview was like. And sometimes you'll get an interview where it makes sense from beginning to end as is, but sometimes you get something where it's like, oh, actually the second half makes a lot more sense at the beginning or in the middle third, you know, and that's trickier, I think. Yeah, and sometimes um, if they had the time, they might have taken two swings at it and maybe the first time around yeah. was feeling it out. Everyone's maybe meeting for the first time. They're still... Um, you know, breaking the ice a bit. And then you talk to them the second time around, they're more coordinated, they're more energetic. Mm. But then there's some valuable information the first take they didn't say in the second one. So mm. it's, um, I guess it's a bit of a challenge that And way. obviously it's, some things don't change in writing what we do for audio stories and writing regularly, which is that we have to edit out some stuff. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide, you know, what is not as valuable or what wasn't articulated as well. And that doesn't make it in. Yeah. Or you have to decide actually what this person said here would sound better if I narrated it or if it was narrated instead of a quote directly from the source. How, how did the process? So I've only started writing, as you know, in the last maybe three, four months for Macon and you've been writing from the beginning. So how do you think the process has changed at Macon from the time that you've been here? 
for starters, it's definitely gotten more efficient and leaner, which doesn't mean it's less involved. But to give an example, um, when I first started, I had written some scripts before, but not for podcasts specifically. Most of my writing was, you know, just more formal, what you would think when you think of text, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was definitely a bit of a challenge at the beginning. I say it was actually the biggest challenge mm-hmm. was because, um, you know, maybe Eugene or Cody would give me feedback saying like this, this sentence is way too long. There are too many clauses. Yeah. Because as I'm writing, you know, in my head, I'm vocalizing it and it makes perfect sense. You know, I could say a sentence like knowing that it would have stopped raining by the time he finished, blah, blah, blah. Right. That is such a huge lead up to even, you know, introducing your topic. And so definitely the biggest uh, breakthrough I've made in the past year or so doing this is I've gone from thinking I need to write a script using text first. And now what's happened is after I've arranged those pull quotes that I really like, I would basically, I call it, I'm kind of sketching the script using my voice. Mm. So I listen to this point and then I kind of just start, I start narrating like I would. I've been in the room while you're doing this. Oh yeah, you have been. I'm, Which is fine. No, like it's, it's everyone so hard has to do, a though. different process. I, I think it's very effective because I no longer have to type text, which I'm most comfortable, you know, typing mm-hmm. a literary style, I guess, and then converting into to conversational mm-hmm. English or whatever. Yeah, I actually have the same experience where I am, I came to Macon with writing experience, like as in, you know, writing an 800 word essay, yeah. right, on a topic or like persuading someone of something. And exactly what you've described is what I've discovered is that you can't have convoluted sentence structure yeah. where you might, I, when I write, I like to use commas and semicolons and M dashes. Like that's just my normal writing style. Yeah. But I can't write like that when I'm writing a script. Everything has to be very simple, declarative sentences, essentially. Because what I've discovered is that a complicated sentence on paper, the reader has time to let it sink in. But a complicated sentence, when you're listening to it, you're just like, I'm lost. And then everything after that, you were still stuck on that point where you were lost. And so the script has to like lead a listener onwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because the reader has the, um, they have the benefit of being able to reread that sentence and really they digest it that way. Whereas a listener, they're generally not going to pause, rewind and listen to you again unless they really wanted to. So it's kind of, there's a bit of pressure there that you have to get it right the first go. And sometimes you might not always have the benefit of reviewing it that many times like if you're if you're on a deadline so yeah the basic rule of thumb is to write as simply and as I guess linearly is that even a word and write in as straightforward a manner as possible yes so when we've kind of been talking about like things that we've discovered we can't do moving from writing a traditional essay to writing scripts. Mm-hmm. What are some things when you're writing a script that you think like, it should be like this? Like, these are the points that I need to hit or like, these are the practices I, I'm i going to use while writing this or, or for you like talking through it. For me, the one I mentioned earlier, not using these, um, uh, what are they called? They're called dependent clauses. Mm-hmm. Like you, they couldn't be a complete sentence on their own. Mm-hmm. So having fewer of those, um, not necessarily saying no, like I don't like to be so extreme and say none at all, but fewer of those. But on like the positive side, like instead of things that you are avoiding doing, what are Mm -hmm. the things that I want to do this? I want to tell it 
um, I want to write it or tell it in a way that feels like it was my story, even mm. if it isn't. So it shows that you care about the subject. And obviously, because if you write it uh, from a place of genuine connection to a story, uh, whether that was in person or you just you know, research it well enough to do that, then that's definitely going to influence how you narrate and how you capture it. And I think it's going to get the best performance out of you. Like at the end. Actually, I think you hit on something really interesting because we are faced sometimes with writing material that we don't know a lot about or is new to us. But because eventually we wind up narrating it, it's important that we can write with conviction. I think more important than writing something that's just going to be read. Like we also write for the briefing. And with that, I feel like, oh, it's actually not so important whether I personally am invested in this because I'm, I'm just writing it and it's very factual and people aren't going to read into whether I have passion. But once we do an audio story, it's very apparent whether you're connected. And uh, when you say conviction, I totally agree with that because it, you also have to set up your story for success, I guess. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not your baby story, I guess each point that you're making needs to be written as if, um, you know, it is interesting. Like, yeah. So to give you an example of writing something with conviction, let's say I really don't care what, the, what it costs to make a smartphone. Mm -hmm. But let's say that the fact was they actually managed to reduce the cost of producing smartphones by 50 percent mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the but the prices they're charging have only been going higher yeah. so where's the money going like you know what yeah, I mean? yeah i know what you mean yeah right like being able to not just writing something and this is the fact but like you are behind it yeah and actually something the example I think of is Alex did his own stories for Chinatown Market and Philip mm -hmm. Lim, and he was really invested. And it was interesting to see him, you know, he actually writes less for Macon. And the reason he wrote those stories is because he was the interviewer and he was very emotionally attached. I, th I think he would say that as well. And, you know, after the Philip Lim story came out, he was like, you know, I learned a lot through going through that audio and writing that narration. And that's kind of beautiful when it can happen that way. Yeah. But for him, his style is interesting too because he wrote kind of loosely and then he rephrases his sentences a lot while recording. Yeah, knowing Alex, um, and I'm sure he's admitted this on several podcasts that he's not much of a planner. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not throwing him under the bus or anything, but that's just how he likes to work. He likes to, you know, spend more time recording it. He doesn't care how much longer it takes to edit. Mm -hmm. He will say, and that's another important point. He doesn't just stick to the script. He, he does more performance really. Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. takes more takes. He, uh, rephrases and stuff like that just so it sounds right another point too is that i think the reason why alex does things the way he does them is because he's trying to write stories that another point too is that i think alex does things the way he does them is because he's trying to deliver stories like the podcasts that he really likes to listen to mm -hmm. um i was some, actually going to mention yeah. that as well you know while we were thinking about talking about this one of the things you asked was like oh you know how do you practice how do you find resources or references and really it's just I listen to a lot of podcasts and I will try to listen more to podcasts that I think I can take from their writing style so it's a little bit like homework sometimes it's leisure but some podcasts are leisure some podcasts are homework and you're listening to it and you're like what can I take from the way they structured this you know and I'm gonna apply that to my own story it's so like for example right now I'm writing a story as you know um 
on Uguisu in Tokyo and uh, Azaka shop in Tokyo. And I'm actually trying to put myself into this one. I haven't done that before, but I've been listening to podcasts where it's clear that the reporter was the one who had that experience. Like I went to this location and I spoke with so-and-so and this is how I felt about it. And so I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. What about you? What kind of things do you listen to? Um, I'm actually going to admit I don't listen to podcasts as regularly as you guys do. That's fine. Partially because, uh, you know, I consume a lot of media, but most of mine is probably video. Mm. So definitely my approach to script writing and plot and all that stuff definitely comes from a place like how do you have a compelling story? Mm-hmm. You just need to take out the visual elements. But that said, I am a huge fan of NPR's training because mm. uh, that's all free resources and they've been obviously doing for so long and yeah. um i do listen to some of their series just because they're very they're very compelling to me so from npr generally what i would take from them is just a lot of their best practices just the like common pitfalls and stuff because mm-hmm. um just because yeah they they've put it together really well their training program i think we also rely on each other to check our scripts, listen to our stories, or even after publication, being able to provide feedback on what's coming out next. I think even if we were a written kind of publication, like we weren't doing audio stories, it would work that way, right? Like our style would evolve over time as we check each other and get feedback from readers, yeah, I think that's a very important point is the reader, in our case, the listener. Mm. Um, I definitely like to write my scripts with the listener, the audience in mind, because at the end of the day, I know I don't know who's going to be listening in, but I would hope that, you know, they have the best experience possible. So definitely their feedback has always been uh, valuable. Or should I say your feedback <laughs> listeners, has been valuable. Yes, and yes. That's allowed our style, I think, to evolve in a more organic way because I think you've probably done the same with text, but you've beaten yourself up over like, you know, a sentence or a clause for hours or something like that. And it, I think you get diminishing returns when you just overanalyze every small thing. Yeah. But then someone, you know, who you don't know even, second set of eyes or ears in this case, you know, l- listens to it and they're like, oh, this was really good because of this or they have this comment. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, it makes mm-hmm. so much sense. Mm-hmm. And that you're going to take that with you as you go forward, right? Yeah. Also, sometimes, I think it's just more difficult with script and narration to refer back to because it's I think for a written piece you can do a lot more passes but for an audio piece it's harder to review it over and over again because you have to listen to it and after a certain point you it you're immune to it like you don't know yet like does this make sense like I don't know it makes sense to me but it might not make sense to anyone else special credit goes to Elphick in this case because as you know Elphick listens to you know portions of audio out loud on the speaker sometimes and funny thing is is he's able you know him being him able to selectively tune out like on this pass he won't listen to the story so much he's listening for like the bases or the the mids or the 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 highs or whatever and I could not do that right yeah and actually just yesterday he was this is a little different because making it up different in nature but Elphick was editing that and he questioned Eugene on one cut and he was like is this right and he also does a kind of like logic pass on our stories as well Okay, so what is next for us in terms of scripts and writing stories? 
So right now, uh, I think the next step is mm. as our contributor network, um, you know, continues to expand. And I think this is something that uh, Eugene will at least be talking about in another building the brand. The next step is to pass this knowledge on, mm-hmm. um, because uh, as I said earlier, although I like to listen to say how NPR does things, I also know that making as a brand, visually and audio-wise, has to kind of make its own image. Yeah, yeah. So trying to pass this knowledge on to some contributors who have a writing background but have not written podcast scripts while giving them the freedom to, you know, help shape and, you know, add their own elements to the bacon brand. That's basically it. Yeah, giving them the support they need or the resources they need, such as you know, talking about how we write so that they can then go and tell their own stories, the stories that they're interested in. And that can be totally outside of the scope of what we were thinking of or what we can conceive now. And so I guess the other next step would be to create um, more stories that rely less heavily on scripts that, you know, can be a little more, you know, down to earth. You know, Mm. I think uh, one discussion we were having is that a lot of our scripts, um, and it's, it's a good thing too, it can be introspective and they take a nice detailed look at things. But sometimes, like, you know, we like to have fun, too. We like to just, like, you know, shoot the shit and, you know, have a nice unscripted casual conversation around an interesting topic. So I think that's what we're going to be looking at in the future. I think it's important to just to push back a little on that. I do think it's mm-hmm. important that Macon covers all kinds of spectrums of conversation, yeah. like conversations, the one we're having right now, yeah. where it's more casual, but with a goal in mind. Mm-hmm. And then ones that are maybe, like, funny and lighthearted, but then also stories that are serious and tackle bigger topics like Shaw Selby, right? Yes, like yes. I, Those things aren't going away. Right. And then something that I know um, Eugene and I have talked about before is how can we do stories that instead of being profiles or single person interviews are more topic oriented? How can we capture something that is happening in culture in this moment by talking to several people or by like researching the topic in general as opposed to just talking to a single person. Right. So almost like panel discussions of sort, right? Mm, I wouldn't say it's panel discussion. More like if I can observe, this is a silly, this is a funny example, but like let's say fidget spinners, right? (laughs) Okay. Let's say I wanted to do a story on fidget spinners and how it captured people's imagination for this brief window of time. I wouldn't talk to just one person, right? Like I would, I would talk to a bunch of different people, like people who play with them, brands who made them, kids probably and then collate that information into writing I don't know my analysis of that time something like that all right well to do something like that we're gonna need a lot more mics well no I don't think so well first of all we did buy new equipment which is funny side tangent but I think it's just thinking about things differently topically instead of just a single person or a single entity. Yeah. And I think actually, again, Tally's stories are good examples of that, like wanting to talk about uh, California wildfires as an event that happened. Actually, that's something we don't really do either. Like, I know we've sort of stayed away from time-sensitive content, but what would it look like for Macon to cover Paris Fashion Week? And I, I know it's going to look really different from other fashion streetwear blogs, but maybe that's something we can can also do in an interesting way for sure and i think that just sounds like something like you know that i'm looking forward to as well because we're just you know it's just broadening i guess our presence really mm. is just trying to talk about a broader range of topics and you know just explore different formats yeah yeah 
It's also funny because we, um, the way we interview people, we also have to train our interview subjects on being interviewed because some of them are slightly uncomfortable maybe with the fact that, oh, you're actually going to use my voice. It's not just a written quote. Right. You know, and it's like, oh, am I phrasing this correctly? And you have to like reassure them like, it's okay. Like we edit, like we're going to make you sound the best you as possible. Right. Uh, That's something that I think we definitely want to explore in another building the brand is how we like to just talk to our subjects, how we like to approach them. And because we meet a lot of people that we might only have had one or no, so mm-hmm. several degrees of separation from. Mm-hmm. So when we meet them, it's very, it can be a bit awkward. Yeah. Actually, I have a lot to say on that, but we will see save it for another conversation. Sounds like a plan. Well, until next time. 